Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. With Christmas on a Monday this year, we find ourselves with an exceptionally short Advent season because the fourth Sunday of Advent is also Christmas Eve. And the third Sunday of Advent will be our wonderful Lessons and Carols service. So it's really just this week and next week, which will be um, more usual worship services. And so I thought for this week and next week, we could spend time exploring Mary's song, as you just heard Brian say. Mary's song called the Magnificat, which simply means to magnify. This is the song you'll hear that Mary belts out after greeting her cousin Elizabeth. Now, we could spend a year on these nine verses of Scripture, the song Mary sings, and still not say all that should be said. And we only have two weeks. So we're going to start with two questions that I think are a helpful entry point and will be helpful to us this Advent season. Today, I want to ask, why? Why does Mary sing? It seems like there are so many ways she could have responded in this moment, and she chose to sing. Next Sunday, we'll ask, how? How does Mary's song teach us about how to be in relationship with each other and with God? And my hope is that from asking these two seemingly simple questions, we will magnify Mary's song so that we can join our voices and our prayers with her. Now, the thought of a young girl singing praise may sound sweet, but this is a really controversial scripture. Mary's song is a prophetic scripture. You'll hear. She paints a picture of the world that is different than the world we live in. And when prophets start talking about the world the way that it could be, some people get really excited by a vision where they feel like they finally have a place, but others, people who are comfortable in the world as it is, they get angry. They get threatened because they feel like anything but the status quo will upset their power. Just to give you a sense of how this prophetic scripture has been received in the course of history, I want to give you a few examples about the way this song has been received. During the British colonial rule of India, Mary's song was flat out banned. The British East India Company prohibited this song as part of any church liturgy. But when British rule finally ended, Gandhi asked that the Magnificat be recited at every site where English flags came down. After the coup in Argentina in 1976, the military quickly began to crush all perceived opposition to their, re to their regime, and 30,000 civilians disappeared. Now, the mothers of those people who disappeared organized a protest in Buenos Aires, and they had the words of the Magnificat written on their protest signs. Well, when the military saw that, they didn't like it. 
and so they banned Mary's song. In the 1980s, when hundreds of thousands of citizens were disappearing in Guatemala, the government banned the nine verses of Mary's hymn from the Bible because they considered it politically dangerous, subversive, and revolutionary. Now, there are other examples of governments banning this scripture. And then, on the other hand, there are people who have been inspired by Mary's words and sustained by these words. Oscar Romero, a martyr, priest, and saint, whose whole ministry was distinguished by his attention to the most poor and marginalized, prayed the words of Mary's song every single day of his priestly life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor who fought against and ultimately was executed by the Nazis, called the Magnificat the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. Reading this scripture is like playing with fire. I just want you to get a sense of what it has done over the course of history. So we will see what happens as we enter into these words these next couple weeks. Before we do that, let's pray. Oh God, so much of faith seems like waiting. We feel that especially now as we enter this season of waiting. So as we wait for the coming of your child, as we wait for the coming of your kingdom, we ask that you send your spirit on these words so that we might hear your promises once, in it, once again so that we might remember the ways that you broke into our world and your promise to break into our world again and again and again. Amen. Our scripture comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. This comes on the heels of the Annunciation where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and announces what will happen. And so then Mary sets off. So listen now to what the Spirit is saying to her church this day. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary sang, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. 
He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Singing seems so out of place for what's happening in this moment. It just feels so misaligned with the circumstances. Now, most pageants depict an orderly and cheerful little Mary saying something like, let it be with me according to your word, and a big smile on her face. But I can't imagine that this moment was orderly or cheerful. We know that this was a disorderly moment because the plot is clearly out of order. A young, unmarried virgin was suddenly pregnant. That's not how it works. Can you imagine how scary that moment must have been? Not just for Mary, but for everyone involved. I would imagine that Angel Gabriel may have been the most scared of all. Just imagine what it was like for him who had to deliver the news. How, how fearful must he have been knowing the message he had to deliver to a young child? You will bear a son named Jesus and salvation. Yours, mine, all of creation rests on you. I can't imagine that he was smiling when he said those words. I imagine he was probably trembling as he realized just how important this message was. Maybe he even had tears streaming down his face as he thought about the impossibility and the implausibility of it all. I bet he was really scared. And then poor Mary she may have been a child, but surely she knew what this meant for her. This news was the end. Joseph would leave her walking away, leaving her as an unwed mother of a child she couldn't even really prove was her own. This news probably came as more of a sentence than anything else. A sentence to a life of poverty for her and her child, a sentence to a life that would be scowled at and judged by all who crossed her path? Surely Mary was fearful in this moment too. There doesn't seem to be much reason for joy, which is why it's so odd that Mary does the most joyful thing you can do. She sings, and it's not a sad song. You heard it. She begins with praise. My soul magnifies the Lord, she says. And even if this young girl had a timid voice, those are not timid words. Now, I have imagined this scene of the angel coming to Mary and then thinking about how uh, the moments after could unfold. And none of them would involve singing, if I was just imagining what would seem natural or normal. I could imagine Mary running to Elizabeth's house, wanting to see a relative, and then just collapsing in Elizabeth's arm and weeping on her shoulder, not able to muster any words between the gasps for breath, but also not needing words because Elizabeth knew what a sentence this was for her young cousin. 
I can imagine Mary going to Elizabeth's house, too shocked to cry, being totally overwhelmed with anxiety, and so just shooting off rapid-fire questions to Elizabeth, who had a listening ear. Why me? What's going to happen? How will I tell Joseph? How will I tell my parents? Will I ever be allowed to return home again? Or I can imagine a timid Mary looking Elizabeth in the eye and saying two simple words, I'm scared. But you heard how the story goes. And Mary doesn't do any of those things that would seem natural in this situation. Instead, she sings. And with that song, she is immediately in the company of so many women who have come before her in Scripture. You see, Mary is not unique by singing her praise to God. Miriam, Moses' sister, who may well have been Mary's namesake. Miriam does mean Mary in Hebrew. Miriam paused to sing praise to God after the waters of the Red Sea were parted so that the Hebrew slaves could escape from Egypt. Now, as you can imagine, after this moment being released at long last from bondage and captivity, the Hebrews were jumping for joy, yelling, leaping, hugging. But Miriam was not satisfied with simple expressions of joy between the newly freed slaves. She wanted them to pause and give thanks to the one who'd liberated them. And so she took a timbrel in her hand and she began dancing and singing until everybody else followed suit. And with that act, she set off praise through song and dance in Scripture. Years later, Hannah got on her knees and prayed to God that she might bear a child. A year later, she held a little boy named Samuel in her arms. Now, after she'd weaned Samuel, she dedicated him to the service of the Lord and entrusted him to an old priest named Eli. Surely, she must have been a little terrified to leave her young son but instead of running out of the temple after she'd offered him to the priest, trying to get out of there before her tears started to flow, she offered her son, and then she paused, and she sang a song of praise to God who had given her this son. My heart rejoices in the Lord, she began. Hannah had learned the necessity of singing praise from Miriam. So Mary's song puts her squarely in a line of women who know how to pause and sing. Now that is enough to answer the question, why? Why does Mary sing in this moment? Well, that's what women do in Scripture. But I think that there is a little bit more to Mary's why. Because her song of God's love, and for her and for all the other struggling nobodies in the world, broke the darkness that she surely felt. In a moment where her life was threatened with this illegitimate pregnancy, she sang joy. Not because she was getting what she wanted, but because she trusted that God was with her, no matter how scary the prospects. Preacher Barbara Brown Taylor says, It's there. In that wilderness, in that empty-handed, I give up surrender, that joy is most likely to occur. Don't ask me why, it just does. And that's how you know God is present 
because no one else knows how to make life out of death. No one else knows how to come into a dark room and turn on all the lights, surprising everyone inside with the last thing any of them ever expected, pure, unkillable joy. So why does Mary do the most unthinkable thing given these circumstances? Why does she sing? She sings because she knows God is with her. And the good news for you and for me is that that's our spiritual inheritance, the joy that comes from knowing that God is with us, no matter how dark life gets. When has God broken through the darkness of your life and filled you with joy? <coughs> when have you discovered that God turns our world on its head, standing up for the needs of the lowly, rescuing us from messes of our own making, assuring us that all is well even when it seems like all is lost. God is with us. And it turns out that's all you need when it comes to joy. The recipe for joy is simple enough for even the most inexperienced cooks. It's one ingredient. The recipe for joy is the presence of God. That's it. Simple. Joy is what happens when God is present and people pause long enough to recognize it. That's why Mary sang. Not because she all of a sudden knew how the story would unfold. Not because she was out of the woods. Not because her anxiety had dissipated. Not because her future seemed any more secure. Or the future of humankind, for that matter. She sang because she knew God was with her in the midst of her anxiety, dread, hope, worry, fear, all of it swirled together. She knew God was right there with her. Joy depends on one thing, the presence of God. And that means that joy can erupt even at the most unlikely times. It means it can erupt in Gaza, in Israel, it means it can erupt in Ukraine. It means joy can erupt as you hunch over a pile of bills wondering how you'll make ends meet. It means it can erupt in the midst of tears in a hospital room. It can erupt amid tense family dynamics. It can erupt in the halls of our government. It can erupt in the middle of the night as anxiety swirls. Because the only ingredient necessary for joy is the presence of God. God was with Mary, and God is with us. And that's as good a reason as any to sing. As the poet Mary Oliver says, still, life has some possibility left. That's what we remember when we feel joy. And as she says, joy was not meant to be a crumb. So this Advent, no matter what wilderness you're walking these days, no matter how dark the night has gotten, like Mary, I hope you can pause long enough to realize that God is with you too and feel the joy that bubbles up. Still, life has some possibility left. Who knows? You may break into song when you remember that.
Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day and always, always. Amen. <laughs>